This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 12, Episode 29. This is Writing Excuses. Oh, crap! The cops are here with Joe McKinney. Fifteen minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Howard. <laughs> I'm Dan. I'm Steve. And, and I'm Joe. And we have Joe McKinney with us. Uh, Steve Diamond has joined us to, to co-host in the absence of both Brandon and Mary. I'm uh, both good today. Luck, good luck with that. I don't... Um, yes, we, we are at the World Horror Convention right yes. now, and we are delighted to have Joe McKinney with us. Right, and I, I introduced Steve because, Steve, you've got a little bit of law yeah. enforcement background. I want you to grill our friend Joe. Okay, where's the, where's the, the cliche, the like, light desk bulb? lamps, like a swinging light bulb and stuff fo- for You us. need a phone book and I know. A, and a intense light. But, but Joe, your background, <laughs> sorry, we've jumped, we've, no, we've, jumped a, we've jumped a rail here. Joe, what's your law enforcement background? Tell us about that. Uh, well, let's see, I've been a San Antonio police officer for 17 years. Uh, I've done a little bit of everything as a cop. I've been a, a regular patrol officer. I've been a DWI enforcement officer. Uh, I've worked as a disaster mitigation specialist, which sounds really impressive, but really wasn't. Um, uh, let's see. Because uh, under your watch, there were never any disasters. Exactly, exactly. Um, and uh, let's see, I worked as a homicide detective for a while, uh, specializing in vehicular homicide. So if it happened with a moving car, it was me. Um, and uh, That's probably not the way you wanted to say that, but I right. know what you meant. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was my baby if, if it happened in a car. Or with a car. Um, and uh, so, uh, let's see. Uh, I also ran the city's 911 center for a while. And I'm currently a uh, patrol supervisor for the west side of San Antonio. And in addition to all of that, a best-selling author. Uh, yeah. uh, and, and a fantastic one at that. And uh, we were talking this morning. Uh, Steve comes also from a police background. And, and he said... It'd, it'd be great if I could just ask my dad all these questions, and, and I do, but having yeah. you, police experience from someone who's also a writer and knows what writers need to know, I'm so excited about this because I suck at writing cops. I suck <laughs> at writing law enforcement of any kind. Well, so, some people say I do too, but... Um, <laughs> no, you know, I've, I've always... So, okay, so, so the reason why I'm, I'm here and the reason why I'm asking questions, it, it isn't because I'm filling in for... Brandon and Mary. I don't know how I would even begin to do that. I, I don't even know. But, uh, you know, my, my dad's a police officer. He's, he's, he's a career cop. I grew up with it in the family. Uh, and, so, and so I have like a, a really, uh, you know, strong, you know, strong spot in my heart for, for police officers and for law enforcement and for what they do. Um, and I read, I've, I've read so many books and, and, I've, and I've done writing. And I always, I always feel like, unless the person has some sort of police background, they just come up short a mm. little bit. They just don't seem to understand the mentality of what it is. So what is it about... So, so you started as, as a police officer. Where mm-hmm. was it in there that you said, I want to take this knowledge that I have and apply it to fiction? Well, I, you know, I've been writing since I was 11 or 12. Um, I started out... Uh, you know those moments when you're in school and something happens and you spend the rest of the day going, man, that's what I should have done or this is what I should have, this is how I should have responded. Well, when I got home, I would write out what it was I had imagined I should have done. And so the, my early stories were all that. 
Um, and then in 2004, I became a, a parent for the first time. Um, my, my oldest daughter was born. And I remember, uh, you know, my forehead on the glass, looking in on the nursery, and there's all the little cradles in there. And, uh, you know, wondering which one is mine. And I had this moment of crisis where I realized, you know, oh, my God, the world just got so much more complex. You know, for the first time in my life, I have to start thinking about life insurance and college plans and, you know, and, and this, that, and the other. I used to be a carefree cop with no concern in the world other than where I was going to eat dinner. And suddenly, all of this crisis, you know, of, of responsibility. And so um, I figured, well, you know, I'm, I'm a young cop with all these new responsibilities rushing at him. Why don't I write a story about a young cop with zombies rushing in at him from every direction? And so my first book really was a metaphor for my fear of parenting. And um, <laughs> That's I, the I, first time I've heard zombies described yeah. that way. And, uh, <laughs> Zombie so, and baby both end with B. So, yeah, yeah, there yeah. you go. And uh, so that's kind of where that came from. But I, it, even at that time, I had never thought of myself as a writer. I was, you know, I, I was a cop and, and that's what I did. And, and so I had scribbled out this book all longhand on yellow legal tabs, uh, tablets. And um, so I wrote it, stapled it together, threw it off on the side of the desk and, and forgot all about it. And my wife came along and read it and she was like, you know, this doesn't suck. And I was like, well, thanks, you know, and, and she's like, you, you should try to do something with it. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I had no idea about publishing at all, knew absolutely nothing about the publishing world. And uh, I said, okay, well, let me send it off to publishers. So I bought a copy of the Writer's Market Guide and was like, okay, these people publish horror, so I'll send it to them. And I sent it off to probably six or eight different publishers and I got polite rejections from everybody. And uh, so I was like, okay, well, that didn't, that wasn't meant to be. So let's just go on with life. And, um, my wife was like, well, no, what about an agent? You know, writers have agents, so try to get an agent. And neither one of us had any idea how hard a thing that is to do. But um, so I, you know, again, got the writer's market guide to agents, and I sent it off to four or five different agents. And one of them just happened to be looking for a zombie book because uh, he, uh, he knew an, ed an editor at, in New York that was looking for one. And so um, he, uh, I, I sent him the book, and he became my agent and has been my agent ever since. And uh, so um, he sent it off uh, to some of the, apparently some of the same places that I had sent the book to. And I ended up getting the book published through one of the publishing houses that had rejected me just a couple of months because earlier. Because being agented helps. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, I learned at that point, it's not who you know, it's, or it's not what you know, it's who you know. And um, even at that point, though, the book came out, and at that time, there there weren't any other zombie books out there other than Brian Keene's The Rising, uh, mm -hmm. which had just come out the year before. And um, Robert Kirkman had just started The Walking Dead, so it was only the first couple of volumes. So this was like 04? Got in, got in is, on yeah, the ground this floor. Is, oh, this is early 05. Okay. And uh, so um, there was really nothing else out there. And uh, the you know I'd written the book, and, and uh, you know that story of Harper Lee when she goes to accept her Pulitzer Prize for... Uh, you know, to kill a mockingbird. And, and they ask her afterwards, you know, well, what's next? What's next for you? And she's like, what do you mean what's next? That's the story. That was it. That was all I got to say. And uh, I was I was the same way, I, except I didn't want a Pulitzer. But um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, so a year went by. And, and again, the zombie craze had just started. And so everybody wanted zombie stuff, apparently. And, no, you know, and so the book sold really, really well and kept selling really, really well. 
and uh, has just broken the half million mark on books on wow. total that copies is, sold. Wow. Just, just the first book. Just the first book. Yeah. What's the What's the title of the book? Uh, Dead City. Dead City. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to I want to bring this back around because uh, we. Uh, we've got an episode on persistence coming right up, and I okay. love this story you're telling. The question I want to ask you is, how do I write that young police officer so he sounds believable? Because every mm. time I try to write law enforcement, it comes off sounding like an episode of Bones or an episode of Castle or an episode of CSI, because that's where I'm getting my education, and uh. I'm pretty sure I'm wrong. Well, yeah, a lot of those TV shows, obviously it's drama, you know, yeah. and, and, and so, you know, that's, that's all well and good. Um, there, there's a TV show called Southtown, yeah. which if you've seen that, that, that deals mainly with beat cops. And, uh, so that's, that's a little better. Um, there are several books out there that are, that are pretty good to help. Like, uh, uh Blue Blood by, uh, I'm trying um, to remember the author's la- uh, first name, but his last name is Conlon. Nick? Uh, his last name's Conlon. I don't. I don't remember his first name. But uh, it's the. Um, he's fourth generation NYPD and uh, a Harvard grad. And uh, so his. He got a hold of his dad, grandfather, and great grandfather's old patrol books, and he wrote the history of New York as seen through the beat cop, which is just a fantastic way of looking at at history. And um, so that's another excellent source. But really, the best thing that you can do is to go to your local police department and ask for a ride-along and uh, just spend a night riding along with a patrolman. And you'll very quickly see these are real guys. They're not, they're not hard asses. They're not, you know, they're, they don't do everything right. They don't, you know, it's a lot of times it's like... I've been offered that a couple of times and I haven't made the time for it and now I'm feeling incredibly stupid. <laughs> well, the ride-alongs are fun because, uh, you know, if you every once in a while, of course, you some cops you, you get you very quickly realize there's a weather system to every uh police station or whatever mm-hmm. you know and and you have guys who are real jerks and you have guys who you know just love to have civilians do ride-alongs with them and you have guys who are like you know I could care less I'm just here for a paycheck and you have guys who just feed on this stuff and and so it's uh you really get a weather system there's a there's a complex group of people like a high school or like a, you know, whatever, any, like any group, any community, any community. Exactly. And, um, going on a ride along, if you get somebody who's willing to talk, um, and I would recommend taking an approach like, um, you know, Hey, I'm a writer. I'm looking to do cops realistically and you're going to get a favorable. Okay. Well, let me tell you all about it. Um, if you go in there and say, Hey, look, I'm, I'm writing the expose on why you guys are all racist bastards. Um, (laughs) Chances are you're not going to get a very friendly <laughs> ride along. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, um, yeah, I, I would just go in there with the positive attitude of, you know, hey, I'm, I'm just looking to soak in what, what goes on. And, and you'll get, I would imagine you, you, anywhere you go, you'd get a favorable ride along experience. Dan? All right. We need to pause right here for our book of the week. And, Joe, I'd like you to tell us about uh, The Savage Dead. Okay. As quickly um, as you can. Okay, great. Uh, zombies on a cruise ship. Um, and uh, that, so that pretty much covers yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm in. The, uh, yeah. and, uh, but it, it was a book I wrote back in 2013, and it's sort of a, it was a, a bookend for me between uh, my first zombie series and the one that I was about to start. And... Um, so uh, it's a standalone book, has nothing to do with any of my other titles, uh, but it deals, I, I'm from San Antonio, and, and uh, uh, immigration issues are very, very 
real for us there. It's mm-hmm. not an it's not an academic issue. It's not something we see on the news. It's something we live side by side with every day. And um, I I have some very complex. It's a very complex topic, and and I you know I have a variety of views on it. And I wanted to bring out as many angles on that issue as I could. And so the Savage Dead was my way of of trying to bring a rational, calm humane approach to the to the issue that's with that's zombies while running and screaming while from running, zombies yeah while running and screaming from zombies exactly <laughs> and it has my I, I, as far as books go it has my favorite bad guy i've ever written awesome. uh, bad girl actually um, she's a uh, she's an assassin working for one of the cartels and uh, she was so much fun to write it, it was that's fantastic now one thing you don't know uh, our podcast runs its own miniature writing conference every year nice. set on a cruise ship. So oh. I think we might have to make that when one required When you say set on a reading. cruise ship, we are on a We're cruise ship. We're on a cruise ship. Yeah. I, I think of us as characters in a sitcom. Do you not hear the, the laugh track theme song in, the in your head, the <laughs> laugh track? Okay, so where, where can we find The Savage Dead? Are listeners just everywhere, I assume? Uh, anywhere, yeah. Any Barnes & Noble, okay. uh, any, anywhere books are sold. Online, uh, ebook, audiobook. It's everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere. Um, awesome. And the guy who did the audiobook has since become one of my, uh, who did the narration for the audiobook has since become one of my really good friends. So, Well, that's great. So go look up The Savage Dead by Joe McKinney. Please do. Okay, so one of the things that, that you aim to do in a lot of your fiction um, is you, you aim to add this police procedural element to it. Correct. Now, how is it different when you're adding a police procedural element into a horror, a zombie novel versus other Types of like crime fiction. Did, did you ever see um, that TV show Frasier? Yeah. And anybody, uh, yeah. People are familiar with that. Okay. Well, there's a great episode of that show where Frasier and his brother Niles are coming out of a restaurant, and uh, they're like, you know, that was the perfect meal, not because it was the perfect meal, but because it had that one little flaw that we can pick at the rest of the night. And um, I have, for that very same reason, um, Peter Straub's uh, Ghost Story is my favorite horror novel of all mm-hmm. time um, because you know he's developed this beautifully dense narrative about these you know these four guys and um, he has a sheriff who's working the angle on the mystery behind uh, their their relationship and about two-thirds of the way through the book he's very close to solving it and I think Mr. Straub must have had that moment where I have to get rid of this cop because you know, once he fixes... He'll end the story. The yeah, once, once he solves it, you know, it's like if the two kids had run into the police station and said, there's a giant gelatinous blob running down the street killing everyone, you know, and the cops had said, okay, it's cool, we got it. You know, the blob would be over, right? There'd be no yeah. more movie, right? Um, well, it's the same thing in, in Ghost Story where, you know, oh, crap, how do I get rid of this guy? And um, so he turns him into a drunk and has him wander off stage on, on a bender. And I remember, you know, that was the one little flaw of that book that I just, you know, I just keep coming at. And I've read that book a million times, but I keep coming at it, wanting to pick at it. And um, I haven't worked up the courage to tell him that in person, though. Um, but uh, anyway, um, so for that reason, you know, I, horror authors have always had this, this thing where, you know, okay, I've got a barn full of dead people. The cops are going to show up. How do I get rid of them? You know, because, I, you know, you can't let... Oh, crap, the cops oh, are crap. here, yeah. and I don't want them to be. Right, exactly, because, <laughs> you know, you can't have them step on the stage and go, we got it. The, you know, it's, it's cool. You know, you're no longer alone. You're no longer, you know, insulated, or not insulated, but you're no longer insular. Isolated. You, you're isolated and, yeah. and mm-hmm. alone and, and whatever. We're here. We're helping. Um, 
it, you know, if the cops show up and they go, you know, you're on your own, you know, you're really truly screwed. And, um, and so a lot of horror writers, I think, get to that point and they feel like they have to get rid of the cops. I always start from that point and, and make the cops the one that are isolated. And so for oh, me, okay. that's the, that's the approach that I take. Um, I like the idea of being, you know, part of an army and suddenly, you know, you're on your own, you know, mm-hmm. and being stripped of that, of that, um, this is what, this is what protects Well, and you. for writing horror, uh, one of the rules that we've talked about in the past on the podcast is that it's good to have an exceptionally competent protagonist whose abilities are not actually going to help in these circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, having the police officers there, but the police officer's skill set, uh, yeah, these, the bullets don't hurt ghosts or whatever, right. uh, something that something yeah. undercuts that. I, I have a question for you. So one of the kind of dramatic police cliches that I have picked up over the years and that I always kept putting in my books and Steve always said, this is stupid, take it out, uh, was this kind of jurisdictional jealousy. You know, the cops are always mad when the FBI shows up. The cops are always mad when, you know, cops from another city show up or whatever, and they don't like to play well together. It's obviously not true, and I have realized that now once I considered it. What are some of the things that you see that people do just glaringly wrong when they write police? Wow. Um, well, there's a great example in uh, Dean Kuntz's novel uh, Midnight, where people are turning into... Uh, all sorts of different strange creatures uh, because of nanobites or nano, mm-hmm. nanites or whatever. And uh, so uh, in that book, he has an FBI agent that climbs into a police car and does the secret Joshua backdoor, you know, let's play <laughs> thermonuclear war in the MDT and uh, gets into the secret subsystems, you know, of the, of the <laughs> and he takes like four pages to describe what an MDT is and how an in-car police computer system works. It stands for mobile data mm-hmm. terminal. And so uh, he takes, uh, you know, just a huge amount of time. And it sounds like he got a hold of, you know, somebody's, you know, the Reader's Digest Guide to Police Procedure and just copied it, you know, changed the words enough so that, you know, it wasn't plagiarized, but, you know, just copied out, this is what an MDT does and how it works. And now my character is going to access the secret back door to it. You know, and uh, it's I, using uh, or trying to uh, um, use police procedures and, and terminologies and things like that in a clunky, non-organic way. Uh, one of the best examples I've ever seen is uh, Michael Connolly's Echo Park. And nobody writes police procedure better than Michael yeah, Connolly. I agree. Um, and, uh, but he has this wonderful scene in Echo Park where the main detective uh, has, uh, he realizes that there's something has been changed in one of his 51 sheets. And that's the only real piece of terminology or, or police language that you learn in that book is the 51 sheets. And it becomes not only did I get this little bit of terminology about police, but it actually became a major plot point. And now you feel like, you know, I'm part of this culture. I get it now. I know what's going on here. And um, so I thought that was a brilliant, uh, keep the lingo to a minimum. Uh, and when you do use it, make sure that you, make sure the, the reader really feels like they've, they've absorbed it. They, they understand it. You know, I think it was season one where uh, Dan was explaining to us, and I don't remember where you got it, but I've used it a lot. Um, take a small thing and get it absolutely right. Don't overuse it, but get it absolutely right. And then you will have convinced us that you're honest enough 
that we will believe you when we tell when you tell the big lie. Right. You know, there are zombies, there mm-hmm. are werewolves, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, so the advice that I'm hearing from you is, uh, you don't need to give us lots of details on the police procedural. Just give us a few and use them absolutely correctly. Exactly. That's awesome. So uh, let's wrap this episode up. <clears throat> Thank you very much for, for coming along. And I think, uh, actually, we, we, used, we stole your writing prompt for the title of <laughs> our episode. Uh, the writing prompt you want us to use is, Oh, crap, the cops are here. So, dear listeners, that's what we want you to write about. Oh, crap, the cops are here. And go from there. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production. Jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 